Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I just ask for your blessing this morning, Father, because, Lord, what we have to talk about this morning are eternal things, and we're living in eternity right now. And, um, Father, without your blessing on these words, they'll just fall to the ground and be lost and be burned in the end. And Father, I just ask that um, you would prepare each and everyone's hearts in this room, Father, to um, have a return uh, of of a hundredfold, even um, as your word uh, is is um, shared. And Lord, there's many verses that we're going to talk about today. And Lord, it's your word that has an impact. Um, and Lord, I just pray that your word, um, just whatever whatever you choose, Father, uh, of, of your word to impact lives this morning, I pray that you would use it and, and it would bear fruit, Lord. I pray that it would have the impact of um, uh, inspiring and um, uh, reproving, um, encouraging, exhorting, um, all the things that your word was meant for, Lord, I just pray that, that you would have, um, you would use it in that way this morning and give us ears to hear, Lord, as you were rebuked, um, the religious establishment back in the day, um, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning. Um, and then as we, um, have a time where we all encourage one another as we dig deeper uh, in the second hour, Lord, I pray that um, you or your spirit would just um, through interact through each of us to um, encourage one another through testimony, through um, our understanding of, <clears throat> of your word. And um, so we just thank you, God. Thank you for today. Thank you for who you've brought here this morning. Um, thank you that we even have this opportunity to come together freely and to um, to fellowship. Um, just pray that this morning, God, that we would um, get to know you a little bit better and, and grow a little bit more like you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, could someone get the lights? Are, are they Are they up all the way? Okay. Um, so anyway, um, I think, thank you, Christian. Um, I, I, I really like the, the one song that we sang there. Um, I, I use the, um, I don't have the Microsoft Office on my computer, which I still need to get. Uh, um, so I use the Google Docs, and um, I always forget to put in a title for the thing. So like, it'll just keep, it'll, it'll have like no title in the, um, in the document, unless you put one in, so I always forget. And so then, yesterday I was like, "Oh yeah, let me put a title in there." So I put John ten, his sheep have eternal life. But this morning, as we were singing the one song, I thought really the title should be, "Now we are living in the light of all you've done," because um, that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, as uh, you know, we're going through these passage. Actually, the passage that I've been going through is John. 10. 
And, and I was talking to Lisa this week about this. Sometimes, you know, these passages, when we're just kind of going through, trying to do expository preaching, you know, you're just going through a passage where it's just dialogue. You know, it's Jesus talking to these people and the back and forth. And, and I really like, um, I mean, this is just my person, person, personality, I guess. I really, I really want there to be application from what I'm reading as opposed to just like, oh, well, that was interesting. Got some knowledge, you know. Um, I really want to come away with application. So as I was struggling this week, thinking of applications for the passage that we're going to look at, because I was just like, well, I mean, there's dialogue. There's Jesus talking, they responded, he responded, they responded. I mean, what? I need some applications, God. Um, I felt like the Holy Spirit, you know, was telling to me that like, um, yeah, remember, there is an application to the whole book. And John told you what it was in John 20. And you guys have all heard this before because we've said it several times. And if you remember in John 20, what the purpose was for John writing the book, right? He said that I'm writing the book and this is the primary application that I wrote the book for is that you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we may have life in his name. So out of any application that we may get, other applications that we may get from these passages, um, I mean, God just encouraged me this week to think like, you know what? You know, we're going to talk about John 10 verses, um, where am I doing this week? Yeah, 22 through the end. Um, But the bottom line is, the application is, if we come up with a a more uh, believing in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name and understand what that means, then we've made application. Um, but actually, there are going to be some more applications, but uh, that's what God encouraged me with for starters this week. And so if you just stop and think about it, the key words in John, what's interesting is just all over the book, um, I think the word believe actually occurs in the book like 99 times. Um, I didn't count them. I, you can Google search that. Uh, then there's the word life, and there's the word eternal life. And I want to talk about these things this morning, belief, life, eternal life, and how precious they are to us, how precious they should be to us as believers. Um, I called my mom yesterday to wish her happy birthday, and um, she turned 78. Um, I don't know about you guys, every time... If you're always trying to figure out what someone's age is and someone tells a story like, oh, so he called his mom and she's 78, so how old would that make that guy? You know? Um, So anyway, but she told me of a friend. She lives in a retirement community in Florida, and there was a friend of hers down there that um, died, I think, a couple days ago, and and that lady was 93. And so um, anyway, the older I get, the more, you know, there's, you hear about a death, you know, it, it makes you think about life and the life that you have left. And, <clears throat> and um, so um, I thought again about guys that die, have died that are near my age, you know, and um, I'm sure you guys know of people, what, regardless of your age, um, uh, whether you're in your teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, that have, have died at, at younger ages. And, and, I, and I've known, um, just, just in the last, 
I don't know, three to five years. Um, I've known three people that have passed away that were my age, 50s, um, maybe late, early 50s, late 50s. And, um, and you know, I went to all of their uh, funerals or, or, or viewings. And, um, and it made me kind of put myself, or I did this mental gymnastic in my head, and I thought, well, you know what? I know them, I know their families, you know, their kids are this age, most of their kids are grown, some of them even just got married. Um, you know, if I died now, I mean, they lived, they lived a pretty long life. I mean, it's not, it's, they didn't live to be 70 or 80, but, you know, they lived, I mean, I was trying to put myself in my, their shoes, like as if I, you know, got cancer and died, like, this year. Um, but then what's interesting is, as the years go by, the one, the one gentleman's name was Ron Leeper, and he probably died five years ago. And then the other gentleman's name was Daryl Haynes. He might have died three years ago. And then uh, a good neighbor of ours in Lee Summit died within the past year. And as I see as life goes on in these gentlemen's lives, and you see Facebook, and you follow their families, and then you see their kids have children, and, and you see other things on Facebook is that happen in their children's lives and grandchildren are had and things like that. It really starts to make me think that um, they're missing all of these things. They're missing these other things that are going on. In so even though at the time when they died, I thought, well, they lived, I mean, they didn't live till 70 or 80, but they did live at least, you know, 50 years. But then, like I said, as as their family moves on and, and lives, I realize that there's a lot of opportunities that they are going to miss to have opportunities to influence their family, their friends, because life goes on and it does appear to be longer. And so um, that's, so I think, what if tomorrow were my last and all my opportunities were done. And that's a sobering thought because I've got just grandchildren just coming into the world, you know. And um, and the question I have really is, do you really understand how brief life really is? Because if you really do, then you would live every day to seize it. Um, and if you don't, then you don't understand what I'm saying yet. And the wisdom of God, it just never ceases to amaze me. Um, because in James, I mean, God, just his word, he answers everything that you would ever think of. And you know in James where he says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This week we had a lot of days that were just mists. And then, um, you know, as the day went on, it, you know, kind of went away and um, in the course of one day. Um, and that's what our life is like. So um, this is just a quiz, pop quiz. Um, who here has been in a boring situation? Have you, ever, have you ever been bored? Okay, all right. So what did you do when you were in that boring situation to try to make it through? Say you were in a meeting you had to sit there for hours and it really had nothing pertaining to you or you were in a training class and you just were like, oh man, I hate this. I, why do I even have to be here? You know, they, 
they said the one thing that I needed, and now I got to sit here for another four hours. What what did you do to help yourself get through that boring situation? Okay, you're right. That's exactly what. I, okay, so in other words, you were daydreaming. You were you were kind of daydreaming. You were doing something in your head where you were taking yourself out of the reality of the situation you were in, and you were putting yourself into a different reality in your head. And, and that's, that's what I was getting at. And let me, so let me say it differently. You took a moment to live in a different reality than you were physically in. And I just want to say that's really the Christian life. The Christian life is living in a different reality than you are physically in. It's called the eternal reality. Okay, and if we can get, and it takes faith to live in that reality, we need to get to the point where we're living with an awareness that I'm going to heaven. We're living with an awareness that every day that we wake up, that we're just passing through this life, and we are living for the next life. Um, and, and the question is, is that a very real reality to you? Because living in this reality will affect how you live in this physical world. If you can live in that eternal reality, then it will affect how you live in this physical world where you are here. And that is what living eternal life now is. Because Jesus said, and we're going to go through it as we read this passage, that we have eternal life. And and we need to stop thinking that like eternal life is something that happens when we die, but eternal life has already started. And and it's it's going on now. And so... Um, Actually, this was interesting. I looked this up because I thought of this phrase when I was thinking about this the other day. Um, <clears throat> another quiz question. Um, how many of you have heard the phrase carpe diem? Okay, do you know what it means? Seize the day. Anyone know who coined that phrase? Who? No, it was a poet named Horace. <laughs> yeah, I never knew. I didn't know that either. Actually, it was in 23 BC. Some poet named Horace said that. Um, but... Uh, but actually, what's interesting is, is, is God thinks the same way. Okay, Paul put it this way. Um, he said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So you might say, what does all this have to do with John 10? Well, let's, 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 uh, Let's get into that and see if I took you down a rabbit hole or if, if I can tie these two together, okay? So um, <clears throat> so before we start reading the text for today, I'm going to give you a little backstory. Um, so starting in about John 7, if you remember, it was um, the feast, uh, there were, it was the fall time frame, <clears throat> and I was looking this up, so I got a little education on the feast of the Jews. But this one was the Feast of Booths, which another uh, term for that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And it it's, happens in the fall, and it's normally in the October time frame, okay? And if you remember, at the beginning of John 7, his brothers were like, Hey, Jesus, why don't you go down there and reveal yourself? You know, if you, if you want to be known, go on down. And he said, like, no, I'm not going. And then later on, Jesus kind of went after they had already left, okay? So in John 7, um, it was the fall, and... and uh, and so Jesus did end up going down to Jerusalem there in the October time frame during the Feast of Booths. Um, but perhaps John 7, um, through what was covered last week, happened between that time frame when I started with John 10. A lot of these dialogues that was going on between John 7 
in John 10 at the beginning of maybe all through last week, uh, Jesus might have stayed in Jerusalem all through that time because when we pick up today, um, you'll see the first, uh, first sentence talks about the Feast of Dedication, okay, which actually occurs in December time frame, okay? So Jesus might have stayed there for a couple months in Jerusalem during all of this dialogue going on. So let me um, start reading. If you guys will turn to John 10, and we're going to read 22 through 42 together. Most of you are probably already there because um, we even mentioned John 10 here. So I'll start reading. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, Make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. <clears throat> so, a quick history lesson. This Feast of Dedication, um, which what you more commonly know as today as Hanukkah, um, which actually that was something that I learned. Uh, I didn't know that, but you know, uh, the Jews celebrate Hanukkah in December, and that's what this is talking about the Feast of Dedication. And it was a celebration by the Jewish people of the cleansing and rededication of the temple. Um, after three years of desecration by this king of Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes in 164 BC, which was uh, when the Jewish rebel group called the Maccabees regained control of the temple. So the Jews, they kind of added, this wasn't one of the, uh, this wasn't a feast that set up by God back in like Leviticus. Um, 
but it was one that they just kind of added um, to rejoice in the fact that they kind of took back control of their temple from from the Syrians, and uh, and they still celebrate it to this day. And uh, it was a joyous event for the Jewish people back then, and it still is today. It's in fact, it's it's probably a really uh, a feast that they really look forward to celebrating. Um, so, you know, as you know, it's near like the time that we celebrate Christmas time. So as Jesus is walking about in the temple in an area known, another word for this where it says Solomon's Colonnade is um, known as Solomon's Porch. You might have heard it uh, said that. A group of Jews gathers around him and confronts him again about his identity. Okay? And they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And... um, Just as a side note, that word plainly there is the same word that that his brothers used in uh, John 7 where they said, um, hey, why don't you go down to Jerusalem for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Um, They were were saying like, uh, don't you want to show yourself openly to everyone? So they they were kind of mocking him a little bit there, but... um, that word, those are the same words, you know, once you reveal yourself openly or plainly. So Jesus responded with, I told you, and you do not believe. <clears throat> now, you might have the same response I had, is like, well, did, did you? So Jesus did not, he, he didn't say, he said, I told you, but, but he didn't tell, he didn't say, I told you plainly or openly. In fact, by and large, Jesus did not make outright explicit public claims to be the Messiah. But there are four recorded times where Jesus is explicit to individuals um, and one time to a group where he specifically said, actually two times to a group and two individuals. And I want to share these because it's interesting um, that we'll get at to where it really didn't matter if Jesus shared plainly or not there was a belief problem going on here, okay? So the one time, um, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it uh, from my notes here. But the one time that he revealed himself explicitly as the Messiah was to the woman at the well in John 4. John 4, 25 and 26. If, if anyone's writing these down, you want to look at them later. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He specifically told her, I am that person. I am the Messiah. And then also, um, just back in in John 9, uh, where Jesus healed the blind man from birth, um, after, uh, I'll read this, John 9, 35-37, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. So Jesus was explicit in that moment too. Now, fortunately, in those situations, both the woman at the well and the blind man, they believed in Jesus. I'll share these other two situations later. So what had Jesus Jesus plainly described earlier to this religious establishment that 
really was enough for them to believe, you know, that revealed himself to them. <clears throat> well, I'll share these. Um, John five sixteen through 18. Um, after healing the paralytic, it says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So right there, we see that Jesus did plainly declare that God was his father, that he was the son of God. Okay, so that was plain enough. And, and there was prophecies about the son of God. Okay, um, so then in John 8, verse 56 to 58, um, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So it wasn't like he wasn't plain in how he revealed himself in John 8 as well. And then, of course, here he says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. I mean, he, he, he's revealing himself plainly, okay? And um, so it just, at, I said, at this point, put yourselves in their shoes. Would you need more information? Um, you know, I, I tried to think through that yesterday. You know, if I was them, would I need more information? Would I still feel like, come on, just level with us, okay? Would you just be clear? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Um, uh, and, and I was thinking, you know, I don't think that that was the issue. I don't think that they needed more information. And what's interesting is... Um, Jesus was providing them what they were asking for. If you look back, they were asking for proof of his authority back in John 2. Um, and, and there was twice in John, in John 2 and John 6, they were asking for proof of his authority. So in John 2.18, it says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Back in John 2. Well, he healed the one guy by the pool of Bethesda, and then he healed the blind man. He's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he fed 5,000, um, so here he's given them signs as well. And then John 6.30, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? He'd been giving them signs. They're not, they're seeing them. They're just not believing in them. And uh, what's interesting is that right before they said that in John 6.30, Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And he kept saying that I was sent by the Father, and I'm just doing these works that, G that the Father has told me to do. So Jesus asked the Jewish leaders, here, um, he says, I told you and you do not believe. 
The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. And then down here he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So he asked the Jewish leaders to at least consider his miracles because these indicated and demonstrated his deity. Perhaps Jesus could understand that he could be misunderstood, but not the works. The works could not be misunderstood. So he pleads with them to examine the truth based on principles they should have been comfortable with. Perhaps Jesus understood their discomfort with the concept of a Messiah being a suffering servant that Jesus came to be, who gave up power as opposed to a powerful Messiah who would lead the people to rout the Romans and free the land of foreign occupants, which is perhaps what these religious leaders, you know, it's kind of like when you get into a situation like with, um, whenever there's like relationships problems, right? You know, um, especially like with your spouse or something, it's like, it's most of the time it's just a, it, it's, it's misplaced expectations. It's like someone had expectations that you didn't know about or you had expectations that they didn't know about and there was just this lack of communication going on. And you're like, oh, if I knew their expectations then I could meet them. Or at work, you know, your boss has expectations and you don't know what the expectations are. It's like these Jews had expectations that Jesus be a certain kind of Messiah and that's not what he was. So they just, they couldn't get it, you know. Um, but Jesus was willing to lead them to the truth one step at a time. And you can see that in the progression through the book of John, Jesus was doing that. He didn't just come down and just, boom, you know, he just slowly was trying to take them through, lead them by the hand. But um, they, they, they'd had nothing to do with it. Um, so again, I asked, what was their problem? Um, and then you'll see here um, in verse 25 and 26, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. It was a belief problem. Okay? It was a belief problem. Um, the chief hindrance to faith is not that Jesus' claims are obscure or insufficient, but that people love the glory of men rather than the glory of God. And you can just write these verses down, but John twelve forty three, we're not there yet, but it talks about, um, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Actually, let me, let me read that whole verse. Uh, it talks about the, the unbelief of the people. And um, it says, um, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, starting in verse 42, 1242. Many of the, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So that was, that was their problem. That was part of the problem why they had trouble believing, right? And if you remember back in John 5, okay, 
They wanted God's man's glory more than God's. And John five forty four, Jesus said, "How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God?" And um, back when we were in John five, and I was looking that up, I can't remember who spoke on that passage. I think it was Eric. But um, but the the thing about that word there. You know, you think about, like, uh, give glory to God, what that means. Actually, that, that word glory there, I looked it up uh, at the time. It has to do with weightiness, giving weight, giving, like, your, you know, full attention. And, um, like, um, if you're, I don't know, like, times like if I'm so caught up in my job and, like, I'm having a date night with Lisa and she's like, hello, is anybody home? You know, it's like I'm there across the table at Red Robin or something, but, like, I'm not there. I'm, like, just in here somewhere, you know. And I'm not giving glory. I'm not giving any weight to um, her. I'm not. It's like I'm just just wrapped up in my head and my thoughts. And, and these guys, uh, they were concerned about the glory of men, Meaning they were just like so wrapped up in what men would think and more so than in, in, in what God thinks. That's, that's what I'm talking about there. So it was not primarily a problem of knowledge, but a problem of pride. Okay. Um, so, um, we're going to look at the third verse where Jesus explicitly states who he is. Because I just want to point out that um, when they said, please tell us plainly, would you just tell us plainly if you're the Messiah? Um, let's see if that works, right? Okay, he said like, um, I told you, but really, you know, you, 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 you might could look at the John, verse in John 10 and say like, well, he didn't really tell them plainly. So let's see, does he ever tell them plainly? And will that work? Do you think that'll work? No. Bob thinks no. Let's see. Okay. Mark 14, 61 and 62. Okay. They have him before the high priest. It says, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Are you the Christ? I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then here's the high priest's response. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. Well, that's what they were been accusing him of all along, right? Uh, you have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. So talking plainly uh, didn't, didn't help, didn't prove anything. Just drove home the point even further that it was a, a pride problem. which led to their unbelief. So... One thing that I don't want to overlook um, is uh, in this chapter, and I think it's really great that Jesus gave us this allegory because there's an element here in this allegory of the sheep and the shepherd that Jesus uses that I did not bring out last week, but I think it's something that we just cannot overlook. So I'm going to read verses 25 through 30, and if you'll follow along with me so that we can see plainly what it says. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you 
do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So an important point I want to make is what the verses say and what they do not say. It says, you do not believe, specifically, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, don't, I'm trying to try to say this without like it being a tongue twister and then you getting lost with me. It does not say you are not my sheep because you do not believe. Okay? It's the other way around. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So John 10 affirms that from the standpoint of eternity, there are really only two types of people. Those who are of the sheep of Jesus and those who are not. And... um So I just want to um, share now the fourth passage where Jesus revealed himself as the Christ. And and you can see that uh, even when Jesus reveals himself plainly, um, some believe and some don't. And it's clear that the ones who don't are not of the sheep of Jesus. And so in Matthew 16... Um, I'm going to start in verse 13 here. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. So they're all they're all with them. You know, you assume that the Judas is there as well, right? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and other, uh, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, all those disciples, all his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. So he he answered him in the presence of all these disciples, right? They're all right there, including Judas. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, and, and then at the end he says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So Jesus flat out told all the disciples, including Judas, in my understanding, because he was one of them and he must have been there. I mean, it doesn't say that he wasn't there, that he was the Christ. And yet Judas didn't believe. Um, And so in my estimation there, 11 were of his sheep and one was not of his sheep. Um, So what are the two evidences that you are of the sheep of Jesus. And this is where I think sometimes we're, when, where if we, we let ourselves maybe get sometimes like hung up on like, ah, oh, well, am I, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I this or that or whatever? Well, it's just like, what are two evidences that you are of the sheep of Jesus? Do you hear his voice? Do you follow him? It, it's right here. It's, it says, um, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Um, you hear his voice, and you follow him. Are you drawn to listen and follow the shepherd? Um, I know I am. I'm, 
I'm of his sheep. I mean, I, I, don't, doubt, I don't doubt it. Um, I'm, I'm of his sheep. Um, so so just, just, just dwell on that. And, and that's why um, I just wanted to talk about what is precious about being one of his sheep. What is precious about that? Um, because I think that's one of the main takeaways for today is that we can just rest in the preciousness of being his sheep. Um, well, one is that he knows you intimately. And I said that last week that it says in earlier in John 10 that um, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, um, he knows his own that intimately. Okay? Well, anyone, okay, that's more intimate than anything, that Jesus would know the Father and the Father would know Jesus. But, I mean, on this earth, if you want any comparison at all, it would just be like, just say like one of your best friends, like your, what do they call them, BFF, right? Your BFF, okay? They didn't have that terminology when I was growing up. But So your BFF, you know, um, or someone, you know, or, or, or a spouse, you know, if you're married, and you've experienced this depth of relationship where you can just talk with someone about things. Are you experiencing this with the Lord Jesus, your shepherd? And if you are not, I mean, I tell you what, we as the elders of just this little flock here, we strongly desire, I, I know I do, and I'm sure these guys do too, to get together with you and talk about this because that is one of the most precious things about being one of his sheep is being able to enjoy that relationship, that intimate relationship with the son, um, the father. I mean, the father and the son and, and, and the shepherd. Um, it's just, um, who can you talk to all day long, 24-7, just care, you know, lay your burdens on him, um, closer than the relationship you even have with your BFF or your spouse, you know? I mean, are you experiencing that? And if not, please uh, don't um, continue to go on in that manner. Speak to one of us. Let us, let us talk that through. Let us, let us get back to where um, you can enjoy that um, benefit of being of his sheep. And then, okay, secondly, it says... My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. He has given us eternal life. The intimacy of his personal care and protection will never, never, never end. In fact, it will only get better. Um, I, the verse came to mind yesterday of 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that says, I has not seen, neither ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that the Lord has prepared for those that love him. And I don't know if you guys have ever had this thought. I, I guess I haven't, but I, you know, yesterday I was, I was reading something about this and someone was saying like, well, what if someone ever had the thought of like, man, after a million years, I think I'd get bored up there, you know. Um, but um, you, I has not seen, neither ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that the Lord has prepared for those that love him. I, I don't think we're going to get bored. For eternity, you know, I don't think we're going to get bored. <laughs> um, and then, thirdly, as his sheep, you cannot be snatched from his hand. This verse speaks to the reality that there are two eternal destinies, because he says they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of his hand. 
He said in Matthew 25, where he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then I'm not going to read the whole passage, but just skipping to the end, it says, And and these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's basically um, two eternal destinies. So perhaps this truth that you cannot be snatched from his hand will not become more precious to you than near your time of death. When Satan may come to taunt you with fear and you will lean on Jesus' words in verse 29, and your faith will rest in knowing that your security is in the power of the shepherd. It's in the power of the shepherd who will let no one take not even one sheep from him. And we know that. Right? He went after the one. He's not, not, not one. he's not going to lose one sheep. Okay, And knowing that the Father's power is greater than that of any enemy, filling you with an overwhelming peace. As you, um, I think I read this somewhere this week. I can't remember it, but I really liked it. Um, I think uh, in, in, since Billy Graham died this week, someone posted something about like um, um, he just had a change of address or something. And I thought... Uh, that's a neat way to look at it, you know. He didn't really, uh, he didn't really die. He just had a change of address. <laughs> so, um, so I said at the beginning that uh, in John ten twenty eight says, "I give them eternal life." And I said that at the beginning, the Christian life is living in a different reality than you are physically in. It's called the eternal reality, and it takes faith to live in that reality. It's living every day with an awareness that I'm going to heaven. Is that a very real reality to you? Living in this reality will affect how you live in this physical world as we are here. For those who have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, eternal life has already begun. So we need to live in it now. So um, this just excited me all the more because, you know, if you just think about it, I mean, guys, just think about it. um, we have limited time on earth, and, and, and as I said, we need to make the most of it. We need to encourage one another. We need to do all the things that Jesus, and, and it's, we just need to follow his voice. We just need to follow his voice on a daily basis. And, and, uh, but sometimes when we're having those precious moments together, and then we have to go, and then we have to, there's still the things of like, oh, well, I got to pay the bills, so I got to go to work, but we have eternity. We'll be able to spend all kinds of time together. We'll be able to spend, I mean, just, it's going to be great. And we just need to be living in that reality. Um, if you can stay for the second hour for the application time, please do, because um, we've got some questions here to dig in deeper that really go along with this whole, um, this whole theme of what we're talking about here that... Um, really address, you know, how can we do that? How can we live like this? How, what does the word help us to, to do, to do this? But for now, uh, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna transition into the communion time, uh, which just is, is perfect for, um, <clears throat> for what we're talking about here because the Lord is our shepherd and, um, and we can celebrate that this morning. And he's our shepherd because 
of what he did on the cross, taking our sin upon himself, and um, that we could be um, free, that we could be um, seen as righteous before him. And Angela's going to play just some background music as I um, uh, share. Um, I want to share some lyrics from a song that, that maybe we'll start learning so that like next communion time we can sing it together. Uh, but if the ushers would come forward or the, um, the deacons would come forward, um, I'm going to have you guys just pass out the, um, the bread and, and the cup. Um, just the, go ahead and pass out the bread and the cup, at, uh, the bread first and then the cup. So everyone will have the bread and the cup in their hand at the same time while I'm reading this and Angela's playing. And then we'll uh, partake of it after I um, read these. So everyone just um, listen to these words as they're passing these out. <clears throat> and um, just spend some time fellowshipping with the Lord as I, as I read these words. On a hill called Calvary stands an endless mercy tree. Every broken, weary soul, find your rest and be made whole. Stripes of blood that stain its frame, shed to wash away our shame. From the scars pure love released, salvation by the mercy tree. In the sky between two thieves hung the blameless Prince of Peace. Bruised and battered, scarred and scorned, sacred head pierced by our thorns. It is finished was his cry. The perfect lamb was crucified. The sacrifice, our victory, our Savior chose the mercy tree. Hope went dark that violent day. The whole earth quaked at love's display. Three days silent in the ground, this body born for heaven's crown. But on that bright and glorious day, When heaven opened up the grave, he's alive and risen indeed. Oh, praise him for the mercy tree. Death has died, love has won. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus Christ has overcome. He has risen from the dead. One day soon we'll see his face and every tear he'll wipe away. No more pain or suffering. Oh, praise him for the mercy tree. Death has died. Love has won. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus Christ has overcome. He has risen from the dead. On a hill called Calvary stands an endless mercy tree. So we're so thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And he is 
our great and good shepherd. Meditate on these verses as we prepare our hearts. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. going to repeat the words that Jesus shared out of Luke 22. Um, When he broke the bread, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Riley, would you uh, just thank the Lord for, for breaking his body for us? We can all partake of the bread. In the same way, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Bob, would you just thank the Lord that we are under the new covenant? Amen. Okay. <clears throat> you can just put your uh, hand your things in the middle. And um, so, praise the Lord um, for what He's done and uh, 